Hey everyone, it's Axel. Today's show is sponsored by Casper. Go to casper.com slash Winterfell, use promo code Winterfell, and get $50 off select mattresses. It's a great way to get a good night's sleep, as well as support the podcast. Go to casper.com slash Winterfell, use promo code Winterfell, for $50 off select mattresses. DJ will be with you later to tell you a little bit more about this, but for now, here's the show. Welcome back, everybody. This is part two of our live watch of the Season 7 Blu-ray animated Conquest and Rebellion. We've been having a blast, so let's get back to it. Here we go. All right, you want to go on to the next one? Yeah. This is really fun. Okay, let me find the remote, and also I'll read the title. That was good. Uh, Chapter 4, House Durandon. Durandon. The Storm Kings. While Aegon marched on Harrenhal after his coronation, Oris Baratheon had taken most of his forces and his queen Rhaenys with her dragon south to deal with the Excusely invasion. Argilac the Arrogant, King of the Stormlands. Argilac had his seat at Storm's End, a castle considered the most impregnable in Westeros after Hall. Argilac may have been arrogant, but he wasn't stupid or a coward. His lords advised him to shut his gates and wait out the siege. But he'd heard what had happened at Hall and refused to die a suckling pig cooked in his own castle. He would meet victory or defeat the same way, with sword in hand. He called his banners and marched to meet Oris Baratheon in the field. Thanks to Rainer's dragon, Miraxis, Oris knew Argilac was coming, how many men he had, and how fast he marched. So Oris simply seized the high ground and dug in on the hills to wait for Argilac. As the two armies approached, the wind rose to meet them and the rain poured from the sky, a gale which would give the battle its name, the Last Storm. King Argilac's lords urged him to wait for the weather to die down. But a storm king saw that the rain was blowing into the faces of the Baratheon men on their hills. And Argilac outnumbered the Baratheon host two to one, with four times as many knights and heavy horse. Argilac attacked. Three times Argilac led his knights against the Baratheon line, but the hills were steep and the rain had beat the earth to mud. The war horses foundered and slipped, and the charges collapsed. The battle seemed lost, until Argilac ordered his spearmen up the hill. Blinded by the rain, the Baratheons didn't see them until it was too late. One hill fell, then another, and another, until only one remained in the Baratheon center. If Argilac could break through there, he could split the invading army and flank both halves. Argilac and his men charged, and the Baratheon line broke revealing Queen Rhaenys and Meraxis. Argilac's vanguard burst into flame and his men panicked. The victory charge fell into chaos, and Argilac himself was thrown from his horse. But he didn't yield. When Oris Baratheon arrived, he found the old king holding off half a dozen men, another half-dozen dead at his feet. Oris dismounted to meet the king on equal footing and offered Argilac one final chance to yield. Argilac cursed him instead. As the storm raged around them, 
The grizzled old warrior and the bearded upstart fought for life and kingdom. In the end, Argilac got his wish. He died, sword in hand. As word of Argilac's death spread, his lords and knights threw down their swords and fled. Oris and his vanguard rode to Storm's End to claim Argilac's castle for Aegon, only to find the gates barred and the walls manned. Argilac's daughter had assumed his crown, and the new Storm Queen was as fond of yielding as her father. She declared that Oris would win only bones, blood, and ashes here. But her men were weaker than her, and that night Oris found Argilac's daughter delivered, gagged, chained, and naked to his camp. Argilac had refused to give Oris her hand. Now Oris could have any part of her he wished. But Oris unchained the girl, wrapped his cloak around her, and poured her a glass of wine. He told her he would take the arms, banner, and words of House Darrenden to honor her father's courage in the last storm. Conveniently, Oris had none of his own to discard first. The crowned stag became the sigil of House Baratheon, and storms end their seat. Argilac's daughter would even remain in her home, though as a lady instead of a princess. The Stormlands were now Aegon's, and as tribute, Aegon demanded the swords of the men Oris had defeated. For what purpose? Oris didn't know. Hmm. Yes. For what purpose? Oris didn't know. <laughs> nice. I'd like to keep on doing that. I think it's cool that they take the time to even do something like that while writing them out, like circle back to the swords at the end of each one. Mm -hmm. I like that. This was a cool little story. What's the guy's name? Argalak? Argalak. Darrenden. Argalak. That's an awesome name. Yeah, that's a great name. That sounds like an alien almost. Argalak. <laughs> Argalak. It's arrogant. interesting to hear the beginning of the, you know, the start of the Baratheon because the Baratheons yeah. are really my least favorite family. Um, they're just not interesting to me at all. I remember even in the show, didn't Tywin like make reference to them being kind of like a mm -hmm. like low class, not a real family, not a real right. family, not one of yeah. the right. And you can see how that history would follow them. Mm -hmm. How he was like the f they were the first to kneel, mm -hmm. and then they take over this. But he was nice to the uh, Argilax daughter, <laughs> right? Well. There weren't a lot of details there at the end. Oh, okay. There's probably you're right. I mean, it is a woman in these in this world. Well, this is the idea of like you, you know, maybe you know your kid isn't Argilax's grandchild, everybody. but her kid is Argilax's grandchild. So yeah. if her kid is your kid, then you are legitimized right. in the Argilac. because Darrenden is a good name, but Argilac is way better. Right, so like you know that then Argilac remains that kid's grandfather as if nothing ever changed, you know. Yeah. So you kind of incorporate yourself into it. But the the Tywin Lannisters of the world don't forget shit like that. Yeah, that's interesting. It it shows too um, just the depth of all of these families. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying, and all these different decisions they make how it echoes down. Um, but also the idea that in, that is Aegon 
taking over Westeros or are they absorbing him into their customs and does it become well, something new? It's I an mean, interesting idea because you see that these things continue like... This is the great you know? unanswered question, right? Is yeah. Alexander the first Macedonian king or the last Persian king? Yeah. I mean, they talked about that then and they're talking about it now. Yep. You know, that transitional period always creates that character if that character is going to be successful. Argalac. And this shows the power of the dragons too, mm-hmm. right? Like we keep on seeing that. Well, the power of the dragons and you see, you know, but you also see them... Oris Baratheon took the sigil, the flag, and the words of House Darrington. And you see, you know, the moment when Aegon chooses the flag and he takes, you know, he chooses the words fire and blood. And right, so you're seeing them also kind of try to at least take on the trappings of the culture, if not actually participating in it. It's good stuff. Morgan, you got anything to add? What did you think of this one? Um, I, I'm getting a little lost in some of the history. Yeah. But, I mean, I thought it was really cool. Cool. All right. I don't really have anything to add to... I, try, I strive to achieve full class participation. <laughs> I just don't have anything to add to your in-depth like analysis of the, the <laughs> families and... Well, you know, we're professional podcasters <laughs> here on Podcast Winter Gel. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like my autocorrect on my phone. Podcast Winter Gel. All right, let's hit the next one. Chapter 5, House Lannister, Kings of the Rock, and House Gardner, Kings of the Reach. Hmm, I've heard of one of those. Yeah, let's see. Aegon now ruled two of the Seven Kingdoms, but he would no longer be able to take the rest piecemeal. For the first time in thousands of years, the kings put aside their squabbles and joined forces against a common enemy. My ancestor, King Loren of House Lannister, was head of the wealthiest family in the Seven Kingdoms. When King Loren joined his forces to Mern of House Gardner, King of the Reach, they had the mightiest army in history, a so-called Iron Fist, to break the would-be conqueror. But while an iron fist can smash a man's face in battle, you'd look silly hunting birds or beasts with it. And Aegon had a creature that was both. The kings had never even seen a dragon, let alone fought one. They had fought each other for thousands of years, and victory always went to the larger army. Surely, a force five times that of Aegon's could manage one dragon. But Aegon arrived with three. Still, the Lannisters and Gardeners hoped for victory. The battlefield they chose was a wide plain with firm ground and clear skies, perfect for archers and mounted cavalry. But neither of the kings spared a thought for why the ground was firm. There had been no rain for a fortnight, which meant all the wheat and grass on it were bone dry. Perfect for dragons. At first, the kings looked like they would emerge victorious. When the horn blew for battle, their armies swept around Aegon's flanks and there are iron fists of mounted knights smashed through his center before the dragons could even enter the fray. But then Aegon and his sisters took flight and unleashed their dragons not on the soldiers, but on the dry fields all around them. The iron fists 
unclenched and became a hand outstretched for mercy. As Aegon promised, he had none. More than 4,000 men died in the fires, another thousand escaping them. Tens of thousands returned home as monsters, burned and scarred beyond recognition. House Gardner never returned at all. Field of Fire, as the singers call it, claimed the last of the Gardner line, and House Tyrell rose in their stead as lords of the Reach and wardens of the South. As for my illustrious ancestor, when King Lawrence saw the battle was lost, he rode through a wall of flame and smoke to safety, or at least to a heroic capture a day later, where he laid his sword before Aegon and knelt. Aegon, true to his word, spared him and confirmed House Lannister as lords of Casterly Rock and wardens of the West. Why wouldn't he? A Lannister always pays his debts, and now we owed our lives to the crown. That was worth centuries of subservience, at least. Besides, Aegon had a fetish for collecting swords, not heads. He added Lawrence to the pile his men had retrieved from the field of fire and sent them back to the Aegon Ford. More swords. The swords continue, the collecting of the swords. That was good. Yeah, so, that was uh, all right. Yeah, another... Oh, well, let me stop that there. Another uh, house that we uh, don't hear about because they're right. gone. But if they're going to do a spinoff show, I want a Lannister prequel. I feel like we always get very little information about the Lannisters. That adds to the mysteriousness and... Yeah, but they're not mysterious. You know. They just have a gold mine. How'd they get it? <laughs> no, but I mean like with the show, at least, with Tywin, I think. Yeah. That kind of like, not like you'd hear rumors of he was, fr- you know, yeah. like just from my perspective as an NBR, you know, like you hear, oh, he was involved with the Mad King, you know what I mean? And then like they remind you later in this one, which I always forget, that they had been uh that Tywin had left like mm-hmm. years before right but Jamie stayed mm-hmm. behind I forgot about that part mm-hmm. but this Lannister thing the thing too is this doesn't paint the Lannisters in some fantastic light they fought a battle they lost he goes gets captured kneels and then he gets that that's what said uh, going on what you were saying it made me think was there something missing there that's what I'm saying. Did he sell someone else out? To, how did he get Casterly Rock after losing that battle? Well, no, because they already had Casterly Rock. No, but so I mean, why does he retain it? Because he kneeled. Oh, okay. So I the guess, idea. Yeah. So, and they said that you know that like they gave that you know that a, even after like okay even after Heron came out and fought a battle when it came down to just Heron Heron and Oris Oris still gave him another chance to kneel and he said no okay yeah so you know this was the giving him the second chance and he said yes it just it seems i don't know i just don't <clears throat> they're just too simple yeah they're just too shady and we don't know. No, I needed a little more Lannister Ooh. transparency. See, I guess too. I'm watching these, and from a show perspective, really the chivalry and honor thing is of the past because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we see so much of no one holding that up mm-hmm. and saying to ourselves, "Why did Ned even think that? Like, what a mm-hmm. fool!" You know. 
But when you see this, you see how, and as you remind me, like my brain almost skips over that part because it's like, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. I don't trust these people. But, but in this world at that time, they did. That meant something, you know? And maybe, you know, what this story is about is that try, is this story about getting that to try to mean something again or realizing that some of that was silly. Well, you know, this you is know, a question. Letting go of some of it. This is something that they talk about a lot when you talk about um, ancient warfare and Persians and stuff is when they they would have a lot of, of um, sacrifices and things. Greeks before they would, you know, the Spartans and all those, they would sacrifice all the time before they would go into battle. And if the reading of the sacrifice wasn't a good omen, they wouldn't do it, right? And so there's just a conversation, there has been for a long time, about whether or not they took any of that shit seriously or if it was just right, window right, dressing right. for them to make the decisions they really well, wanted to make At different levels anyway. took it seriously, right? But like, the... But the that's kind middle of, management right. bullshit. That's exactly right. You know, the that's middle yeah. management bullshit. That's what the okay. Those rules aren't for everybody. You know that kind of stuff. But one of the the conversations that happens in history now is the idea that you see over and over armies give away advantageous opportunities because the omens weren't correct. And so we kind of have to put ourselves in the perspective of people who did believe that. Yeah. You know, and we have to, to take it seriously and treat it as if they believed it because from our perspective, they acted like they did. So even if they didn't, you know, <laughs> well, hey, even Mike, if we don't. I, I have a question for you. Did you believe there were WMDs? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's useful to have these conversations, right? There right? you go. There you, you know? go. And so I think that there is that kind of... Yeah. To what extent that stuff is real and to what extent it's valuable, and we don't really know, but it's worth it to try to figure out. How would a person who's living under rules of honor and, and chivalry actually act? No, but it's also cool that um, Aegon uh, seems to follow these as well. Right. You know? Right. So that's an interesting point mm-hmm. here. Um, all right. Let's go to the next one. Did you have anything else to add, either of you? All right, cool. The next one is, ooh, here we go, baby. Chapter 6, House Stark, the Kings of Winter. With most of the South in Aegon's hands, the best chance to throw back the Conqueror now lay with the North, if we cared enough to try. Unlike our Southern rivals, the Stark Kings of Winter didn't forge the North into one kingdom for glory or gold. There is little of either here, but to survive. Alone in Westeros, the North remembered when worse than dragons lay waste to armies. Thousands of years ago, the sun set on the realms of men and the long night began. A new race emerged from the ice and snow, the White Walkers. They demanded no crown, offered no terms, spared no life, and the dead marched with them. With humanity facing extinction, a Stark sought out the children of the forest, the most ancient beings in Westeros, and convinced them to ally with the men they once fought. Together, the two races pushed the walkers back into the land of always winter 
and sealed it off from the Seven Kingdoms with the wall. 300 miles of ice, stone and earth rising nearly 700 feet tall. To guard it, they established the Night's Watch, a brotherhood sworn to defend the living from the dead, whose vows erase both titles and crimes. After the long night, the North tried to forget it belonged to a continent, perhaps through pride, perhaps through sheer ignorance. You never can tell with the North. But as news of Aegon's dragons spread, Torrenstar, the King of Winter, knew he couldn't forget Westeros any longer and summoned his lords to Winterfell. Many fools shrugged off the threat, while the rest placed wages on how long the South would take to burn. Torrens silenced them with a command to assemble their armies and descend from the North in force. As the kings of the Rock and the Reach burned on the Field of Fire, the greatest northern force since the Long Night crossed the Neck into the Riverlands. But when King Torren arrived at the Trident, he saw, on the opposing riverbank, the combined strength of all Aegon's conquered kingdoms, a force larger than Torren's own by half, and with three dragons. That night, King Torren called a conference of all his lords and advisers. Some wanted to fight and trust northern valor to carry the day and burn on the Triton. The wisest of them wanted to withdraw to Moat Kaelin, the fortress which had thrown back every southern invasion, and burn there. One suicidal lord even wanted to ambush Aegon's camp in the dark and kill the dragons as they slept, or at the very least, their riders. It's hard to tell what would have been his fate. Burning, beheading, dismemberment, perhaps all three. My ancestor listened to their counsel and in the morning crossed the trident under a flag of parley. Then King Torren of House Stark laid his ancient crown at Aegon's feet and was named Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North. And the king who knelt. He had no choice, and thanks to him, our soldiers returned to their homes whole and unharmed. The swords that Aegon took from them were not twisted, burnt or mangled. Yet. He had no choice. <laughs> that was pretty cool because they go over. I like the way that um, they separate the North from everybody else. You'd really get that feeling that it has a whole separate history, mm-hmm. you know, of they the long night. They were part of a continent. Yeah, I like that. That's a good line. And, um, well, and of all their histories, it's the only one that's really deeply rooted with the White Walkers and the actual, like, yeah, past that we're all waiting to see. Yeah, come back. Ice spiders. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Um, it, it it says the thing too that they don't have not said in the show. In the show, they've told us that the children of the forest created the white walkers right Mm -hmm. but they don't talk a lot about the time when the children and the men work together to build the wall and defeat them Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i wonder if in season eight we're going to see a little bit of that when bran maybe you know tries to figure out how the hell can we win this thing oh well wait guess what they did before yeah let's go into the past and try to figure out how they did it you know what brought 
this these people together and maybe we can somehow replicate that because we don't have the children you know I with, would be in for with uh danny you know right. that'd be interesting but i like i like that uh story and i like also they've been doing it we're on episode seven now but i think it started or chapter seven it started in chapter three where they're bringing in the other voices mm-hmm. to read the other lines i like that yeah that was cool mixing it up yeah Anything else for anything else in my call? Uh, I like the crown. The ancient crown was pretty awesome. Yeah, it's kind of kind of cool, you know. Um, and I also like that we get that kind of ongoing sense of the Starks as a um, kind of stoic, contemplative group, you know, and they kind of stuck with that too, which I actually liked. Yeah, so, yeah. and um, good chapter. That was cool. And, uh, oh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, oh, there was something else that I thought. Oh, uh, Aegon's kicking ass. Dude. You, you see the roots of the fear and um, anger towards the Targaryens in this that everybody had to kneel. You know what I'm saying? Like, in the end, everybody kneeled. And then that's where they get the little um, Viserys coming in with the the, the king who knelt. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> he had no choice. <laughs> um, but that's cool. You know, you get that sense of this historic conqueror. You know, right. throughout this series and how important that is. Right. All right. Here we go. Chapter seven. House Aaron, king. Oh, how? I'll start again. Chapter seven. House Aaron. It's hard for me to say that. I want to say Aaron. I'm from New Jersey, people. House, House, is it Aaron? Aaron. Aaron. House Aaron, Kings of the Vale. The Vale of Aaron was the last of the great kingdoms left. Old and proud, House Aaron did what they always did in times of strife. They shut the bloody gate, sealing off the veil. Then the Queen Regent Shara of House Aaron retreated with her son, the boy King Ronald, into the Eyrie, their family's impregnable fortress. From the top of their mountain they could look down on Westeros far below, its problems hidden beneath the clouds. But one day, Queen Shara entered the outer courtyard to find her young son sitting on the knee of Visenya Targaryen and ogling her dragon Vega beside her. Just as he'd asked for another cake at dinner, little King Ronald asked his mother if he could go flying on the nice lady's dragon. Visenya smiled at Shara. So, Shara imagined, did Vega. Remembering her manners, Shara asked if she could have Visenya brought some wine or food. She must be tired after such a long flight. But Visenya demurred. Bored with his mother's pleasantries, Ronald demanded an answer. Poor boy. He didn't even understand the question. Shara hesitated for a moment, then asked Visenya, as a mother, if it was safe for the boy. Visenya assured her it was. What choice did Shara have? Whilst her son circled the castle... She collected his little ringlet, her own regent's coronet, 
and the ancient falcon crown of mountain and vale which the Arons had worn for thousands of years. Ronald had taken to the sky as a king, but he landed as a lordling. Perhaps he considered his ancient rights a fair trade for a few minutes of flight as a little boy would. More likely, he didn't even notice the three crowns at Visenya's feet, or recognize the swords of his garrison beside them. Hey guys, I want to take a minute out from the podcast and tell you about a fantastic mattress brand out there called Casper. These mattresses, designed by humans for humans, are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. I've had such a bad lower back from lots of years of lifting DJ equipment and all types of other work I've done. Well, I've tried a bunch of mattresses from those big box stores, spending way too much money and always left tossing and turning. Then I found out about Casper. Right away I was happy. I didn't have to go to the store and have some salesperson follow me around. I went online and saw they have over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google. I also found out they're becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Here's why. They're affordable due to cutting out the middleman, all of the salesperson breathing down your neck at the store. They're delivered right to your door in a small, how they do that, size box. You get it? Up to your room, you open it up, and there you go. A comfortable good night's sleep. That's due to breathable design that cools and regulates body temperature and the multiple supportive memory foam that's the right amount of sink and bounce. And thanks to our friends at Casper, we now have our own promo code, Winterfell. So you can head over to Casper and get a quality night's sleep just like me. That's right. Go to casper.com slash Winterfell and you can get $50 towards select mattresses by using Winterfell at checkout. Some terms and conditions apply. Again, head over to casper.com slash Winterfell. Use our special Winterfell promo code and get $50 towards select mattresses. All right, Littlefinger. Well, that one was that was the, the shortest and uh, simplest of it. Just kind of a... Uh, that's a scare as a, as a father, of course, that's a scary a scary thing you know you always have those times where like a kid wants to do something or like you know i remember lachlan and i were walking around downtown portland and there are a couple of people who may have either been intoxicated mentally ill what have you and um he started following because the guy was like dancing a lot you know what i mean and i was kind of like wait son don't get on, don't follow that dragon. You know, like he didn't understand what was going on. That's scary. But it also kind of shows the, um, the kind of, uh, duplicitous or kind of mind fuck nature there. Maybe is that like a Targaryen thing? I don't know. Well, I mean, it's very smart. You know, they're fighting, they're not fighting when they don't have to. Yeah. Even in the field of fire, which was a fight, you know, he said very specifically they didn't fight the soldiers; they just burned all the wheat around them. You know, so they are actually going about this in a very intelligent way. Mm, that's an interesting um, point. Danny doesn't seem to have that sense. Well, she developed that later, it's a little com- bit more of a sense of that idea. Growing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. But of course, uh, to us, Tywin is the master of that. 
And that's another thing that, you know, we don't have any sense of where Aegon got it from. Yeah. You know, we don't know where he learned it. That's interesting. Well, he's coming from a place where all the houses had dragons and would have been more equally matched in fighting. So, Oh, that's an interesting point. It wouldn't point. feel yeah. as like this great conquest. It would be like, yay, you won over an anthill. <laughs> like, how big and tough do you feel you smushed some ants like yeah he wouldn't be the badass and it Val- doesn't make him feel any yeah classic valeria that he was in westeros right and also he doesn't have ice dragons to contend with right that danny has you know it's a different experience like you say it just rhymes it's not the same well, thing, but. one thing that I will say for this is that they are keeping it consistent with the show, which is that there's really only one answer that anybody has to every problem, which is just burn it with dragon fire. <laughs> <laughs> or kneel. <laughs> I mean, or be like, nope, kneel or I you give get up. burnt yeah. by a dragon. Yeah. You know. All right, cool. All right, well, it's good to hear Littlefinger's voice. Yeah, really. Too. But this one was a little slight. I, I think that they could have. Uh, beef this up with a little bit of uh another story frankly yeah i don't entirely understand what they're even for at this point yeah but but i guess again though in the sense of if you were showing this to someone as like a uh a um a prologue it would be good, it, it'd for be that. good to know the name aaron you know and but john I, aaron yeah but I really just think that the whole point of the Aaron clan was just to have some place to take Tyrion and an excuse for Littlefinger. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I think that, that the whole point of the Aaron clan basically revolved around the the sibling relationship between Liza and Kat. Kat, yeah. Right? Yeah. And that now we're just kind of left with a lot of kind of just pointless hang you know what i mean I, yeah. I don't know i just kind of the more the more it goes on the less and less point i see in the whole Aaron story and i kind of don't really understand why i feel I, I just you know i feel like it seemed like it was something that was like it was so much more important to season two yeah and yet still we're kind of they're still kind of in it a little bit you mm. know yeah I was expecting when they got into the story of the mother being there mm-hmm. that the kid was going to be like 15 and breastfeeding or something like that. <laughs> but uh, that wasn't her line. I mean, she married into it, but I thought it might just be like, you know, the kind of vibe yeah. that the family goes for. Right. You know, it's like they're like intense attach- attachment parents. I really think the yeah. only reason they're still in the thing at this point is just because the castle seems like such a cool idea. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> On the, the I like that. All right, let's do chapter eight, Aegon, first of his name. The heads of Westeros had bowed to Aegon, but its heart still beat free. Old Town, the center of the faith of the seven. There dwelt the High Septon, the father of the faithful who commanded the obedience of all Westeros, save the savages of the north and their old gods. When Aegon had landed in Westeros, the High Septon had locked himself in the Starry Sept and fasted for seven days and seven nights, one for each of his gods. All he received for his trouble 
was the divine wisdom that if Old Town took up arms against the dragon, the city would burn, faithful and faithless alike. After the submission of House Stark, Aegon marched towards Old Town, steeling himself for another battle. But he found the gates open, with the High Septon welcoming him. The pious fool even had the arrogance to grant what Aegon had already won, and anointed the last Valyrian as Aegon of House Targaryen, first of his name, King of the Andals and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms, and Protector of the Realm. As if titles meant anything to a man before whom time itself now bowed, the Maesters would hence divide all history into before and after conquest. Most expected Aegon to stay and make Old Town his seat. But soon after his coronation, Aegon returned to the mouth of the Blackwater River, where he had first set foot on Westeros. A small town had since sprouted around his primitive fort. To honour their new master, the locals dubbed it King's Landing, though it looked more fit for a hedge knight, with wooden palisades, muddy streets, and piles of mangled swords carted in from every corner of the conquest. But when Aegon made it his court, wood became stone, black mud was buried beneath a red keep, and the collected swords of Aegon's foes were blasted by dragonfire and became a seat fit for the conqueror and the greatest dynasty this world has ever known. House Targaryen. My family. My throne. Or so it should have been. I was thinking that when I uh, first watched this, that... um. It was. It's kind of weird that um, he's like telling this story. Mm-hmm. And he's like, though it should have been. And then I'm like, is he saying that from beyond the grave? <laughs> like, does the character know that he died in the show and that this is on the Blu-ray? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Though it steps outside, like kind of breaks the fourth wall in a sense, right? right. Because he's say, like, in, you know. Um, I thought, and I thought maybe it would have been cool then to have Danny pop up right. at that part and be like, "That will be my," you know, or it something like that. Be yours. <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. would have been a cool thing. But that was cool. That was a quick one too. That was just basically, but a lot of what you had said earlier too, Mike, showing the like Aegon Fort becoming King's Landing, which I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know how he like built up King's Landing, like also, you're talking about building structures and, right. you know, bring, bringing that sense of enormity to it. Something else that's really fascinating that I hadn't really pieced together until I was watching these, and you see them all in a row, is he is Aegon the Conqueror, right? Yeah. Okay, let's count the fights. He flew his dragon way up over Heron Hall, and then came down and turned it into a giant pizza oven, right? That's mm-hmm. why you make pizza ovens out of stone, because it holds yeah, heat. that's okay, true. So he made that's heron true. pie in the... Uh, uh, okay. Pizza ovens are popular on HGTV so, I these days. Exactly. So there's no fighting. There was just he flew... Okay. Oris Baratheon fought a battle. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm getting weird. With Darrington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, after when, you know, they split the middle, the dragon cooked a bunch of guys. Okay, okay, that's fine. Aegon wasn't at that. 
Aegon was busy cooking Harrenhal while Oris was fighting. Okay, then what happened? Who did he fight after that? I mean, like Old Town opened the doors. The Starks bent the knee. He yeah. fought the gardeners, and yeah. when he fought the gardeners again. His army didn't fight anybody. They just burned the fields. Yeah, the Baratheons, <coughs> right? Right. They burned the fields, cooked every, you know, cooked everybody. The Lannister guy bounced the guard. So there was a fight there, but it wasn't. Again, it's not. It wasn't. But really, that's a smart use of uh, power. It like is you were very smart. Of course, all yeah. of this stuff is smart. But he didn't actually fight any actual. He's Aegon the Conqueror mm. who conquered the Seven Kingdoms, but he literally didn't fight a a battle. Not a battle where actually his army had to defeat another army. Not even in the sense of like like we've seen Danny go out and like yeah, you know, that's a good point. But whoever's getting burned is just who's in the way right. of the fire. You well, know what we I heard mean? of, or we hear, and we'll see later of like Robert going out and fighting like three battles in one day. Robert's an yeah. actual goddamn conqueror, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's interesting, you know. And we don't see, we don't hear him because you would think that based on what we've seen in the show, which is just whoever's standing in front of the dragon gets burnt, right? Yeah. You would think that if they if Aegon the Conqueror was going to win, it was because he had three dragons so he could just burn more people at a time, but he's not even doing that. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's a really like it just it didn't occur to me until watching the until hearing all these stories back to back to back that he didn't actually conquer anything. Hmm. Yeah. That's kinda cool, man. And then you do think, like you said, that Danny, we've seen her fight a bunch I mean not only with the dragons, but like when she burned down all the calls and when mm-hmm. she, you know, um, dude, George, like a bunch of other times where she literature. did it herself. You George know? hates history, he hates writing, and he hates us. Like everything <laughs> is about just the lie. And I yeah. really, I really do think that like there's some part of him, deep state, Mike, dude, I do deep think state. That there's some part of him that was so disappointed that the Lord of the Rings. And the other fantasy stories, you know, there's nobody more, like, angry than a disappointed idealist, yeah. right? And I think that there's some part of him that was so kind of disappointed when he found out that chivalry wasn't true, that everything he's done since then is just to set people up to feel a particular yeah. kind of way and then be like, nope, none of that is real, what? right? Aegon didn't conquer shit. He burned a field. He made an oven. You know what That's I mean? That's true, man. Well, listen, Mike, you have been to Bayonne, my friend. So <laughs> It's a disappointing that's place. not a surprise, okay? <laughs> I spent could, a lot of time in Bayonne. See how you could grow up disappointed. No offense to Mass's Tavern, of course, our friends in Bayonne. But, uh, yeah, just, no, that's a good point, dude. And I like what you're saying about um, Aegon. And it would make me think, too, that maybe that would also add to... I think of myself complaining about Tom Brady or something, you know, <laughs> like it adds to your, it adds to the other kingdoms, the other families disdain right. that this guy in a lot of ways used them to fight his battles. Right. 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 And use their own uh, kind of customs and whatnot by absorbing 
he was able to kind of use them in his conquest. And like they keep on mentioning in a bunch of these different ones that they had already been fighting for thousands of years. Right. Mm -hmm. You know? So he kind of takes advantage of that. Will we see that going into uh, season eight where uh, perhaps even using, uh, in a sense, could brand by using that magic of the white, what the white walkers know and depend on against them, mm-hmm. you know, by absorbing it into their fight right. against them. It's an interesting idea. All right, let's go. Chapter nine. Anything else to add? Morgan, well, just everything Mike? you think is true is not, and yeah. everything that's you know that people says is a lie, and it, you know what I mean. It just like I, it's every time you think you know something, he manages to figure out an interesting way to undercut it, and it's why I love and hate him in equal measure. And it rings true with real life as well, of course. Which yeah. is why you love and hate him in yeah. equal measure, because yeah. like. How can this asshole who's writing about dragons and giants get so many things, so many subtle things, so correct about the fucking human condition? Like, goddamn. (laughs) There you go. Tip of the hat to the George. Bayonne, baby. Chapter 9, House Martell, Princes of Dorne. But while Aegon titled himself Lord of the Seven Kingdoms, in reality he held only six. The seventh, Dawn, had never knelt. Visenya had flown into the Vale and returned with its crown. Mimicking her sister, Rhaenys had flown over the enemy force holding the passes into Dawn and landed in the castle of its ruling lady, Princess Maria of House Martell. Maria was 80 years old, fat, bald and blind. Behind her back, many sniggered at her as the yellow toad of dawn. The beautiful Renice probably thought as much when they met. She demanded Princess Maria kneel to her brother Aegon, though she allowed that on account of Maria's age and health a simple vow of submission would do. But the princess told the queen that the Targaryens weren't wanted in dawn, and no Martell would ever bow, bend or break no matter how badly they burned. Renice could have mounted her dragon right then and roasted Maria in the castle as her brother had done at Harrenhal. But whatever she saw in Maria's eyes scared her right back to King's Landing with her dragon's tail between its legs. After Aegon's coronation, Renice returned to Dawn with Aegon and Visenya and their dragons. But no armies met them in the field and no lords defied them in their castles. As the dragons approached, Dawn simply emptied. House Martell had learned from Harrenhal and the Field of Fire. The dragons were unbeatable in battle, but wars were more than battles. Unopposed, Aegon claimed Dawn for his own, but as soon as he returned to King's Landing, his castellans were hurled off towers and his royal garrison vanished in the desert, never to be seen again. Except, perhaps, when the winds change and the sands cough up old bones and armor. Renice returned on Meraxes, intent on revenging herself against Maria Martel. But Dawn was no longer empty. The Dornish kept Maria's promise and fought even while burning under dragon flame. And they won. 
One day, a bow pierced the eye of Miraxis and knocked the dragon out of the sky. House Martell remained unbroken. Unlike the unfortunate Rainers, in their wrath, Aegon and Visenya set flame to every castle and city but Sunspear, trying to turn the people against House Martell. But the Dornish stayed loyal, and when Aegon returned to King's Landing, he found assassins waiting for him in the streets of his own capital. If not for Visenya, the Conqueror would not have enjoyed his conquest for very long. From then on, the king and his family would be guarded by the seven greatest knights in the realm, the King's Guard. When Maria died in her sleep, her weak and tired son sued for peace. But old Maria had exhausted Aegon as well, and he granted the request. The Targaryens still wanted Dawn, and eventually they would have it, but not at the point of a sword. They would buy it the same way great lords buy anything, with a daughter. That was chapter nine. House Martell, Princes of Dorne. And now I know more about Dorne than I knew from all the stuff we've seen <laughs> on the show. <laughs> and it was a little interesting, too. They should have brought... You know what, man? They should have just dumped um, uh, the guy from uh, Deep Space Nine and brought that crazy old bald lady who can look into your eyes and scare the shit out of you and just done that character. I know that people would have been up in arms, but I would have found that more interesting. You know, that was, I mean, this was, this one reminded me a little bit, uh, I guess of the, um, uh, I guess maybe the, uh, the Aaron one before, which is that it's a little slight, but you do find out some fun stuff about you get this cyclical thing again. One of the dragons goes down, right. With like a spear arrow. Just like we see with with what happened he in calls our story, it a bolt, which would a bolt. suggest a crossbow. Oh, there you go. And um, they um, just kind of going on a rampage and burning everything up after that. You know, that was kind of interesting. And uh, the creation of the um, uh, what you call it, uh, King's Guard. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the Maria character, I don't recall ever knowing about. Oh, okay. Before this. That's a cool so, character. That's a great character, yeah. And it's it's interesting in that it kind of combines the Queen of Thorns, right, that we know of from the television show, with that Oberyn Martell, you know, that, I don't know, it's like an interesting... Mobility or whatever, yeah. I mean, just the attitude and the, you know, that goes with, but kind of with the old lady, and I don't know. There's there's a lot there. There's, I, yeah. I would like to see more about that character. Yeah, I doubt we ever will. But um, but then this is the first time we see um, Aegon take a hit, mm-hmm. and you see that there is a vulnerability there. Yeah. So did the sister die? Uh, I don't know. Did they say they said the dragon? I think the sister died. Yeah. yeah. That's you, how I took it, but it was unclear. I was going to ask you. Yeah, I didn't say it directly. I don't know. Do you remember that? Um, I, I mean, I think it said that she was broken. Oh, okay. But I don't know. Does that mean broken? Does that mean, mean like right. broken bones or broken as in like mm. 
was alive and now is broken. She no like didn't alive. eat well for a while. I don't, you know, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All right, that was House Martell, Princes of Dorne, and now we're going to move on to the last one, The Last Dragons, Chapter Ten, which, which in many ways. This is tell. This is now going to be like an information dump. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of stuff in this one, but I was going to say it could almost be its. In many ways, could almost be its own one. Like I could have seen them ending this with that and just saying, and then you know, Aegon continued to rule. Well, that really is you know? the the end of the Seven yeah, Kingdoms. Yeah, you know. So that's interesting, though. But now it's just. This is the chapter that leads us into our present story, kind of. It know? also seems like this one is quite a bit longer. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think this one is like almost ten minutes long. All right, here we go. Chapter ten: The Last Dragons. See you on the other side. After the conquest, when men looked up, they saw dragons. Nobles learned to keep their eyes down, but the gods weren't used to sharing the heavens. When Aegon died, the High Septon led the Faith and its army in revolt, claiming that the Valyrian tradition of wedding brother to sister was an abomination in the eyes of the Seven, though no one could explain where the divine mother and father had come from. My ancestor, Maegor the Wise, or Maegor the Cruel, as men slander him, put a bounty on the head of every militant priest, and miraculously, the faith soon returned to the sects. With dawn in the fold, and the faith put in its place, none in Westeros were left to oppose my family. So we started opposing each other. In the Dance of Dragons, a Targaryen princess tried to steal her brother's throne. Thanks to her stupidity, most of our dragons died, though one, thankfully, ate her before it did. But even without our dragons, we were still the blood of old Valyria, which proved just as dangerous. One of my foolish ancestors didn't see what separated his bastards from our family proper and legitimized them all on his deathbed. Adopting the name Blackfire, the bastards proved their nature and tried to seize their father's kingdom. And when they failed, their sons tried. When the sons failed, their grandsons tried, until finally Sir Barristan the Bold, Knight of the Kingsguard, slew Maelys the Monstrous in the War of the Ninepenny Kings, ending the last of the Blackfire line. Ultimately, without our dragons and with our blood diluted by commoners, we failed to see the greatest threat growing under our noses. As the saying goes, every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin. He must have dropped the one for King Aerys, for at first he seemed to have dodged the family madness. But as he grew older, he began to see conspirators everywhere, and where there were none, he worked to create them. As one of his king's guard, I saw firsthand that a king who couldn't rule his own mind couldn't rule seven kingdoms. We endured his reign because we hoped his son Rhaegar would ride the realm when he ascended to the throne. But then, Rhaegar proved as mad as his father and snatched Lyanna Stark, daughter of the Warden of the North, and betrothed to Robert Rathian, Lord of the Stormlands. When Lyanna's father and eldest brother demanded justice, the Mad King obliged, laughing as he dispensed it. 
Unsatisfied with only two murders, the Mad King then ordered John Arran, Lord of the Vale, to execute his two wards, Robert Baratheon and Eddard Stark. Instead, John Arran raised the Vale in revolt, Ned Stark slipped past royalist sentries and raised the north, and Robert won three battles in a single day to unite the Stormlands behind him, only to be defeated by a royalist army and forced to flee, leaving his home of Storm's End besieged. The hand of the king finally cornered Robert in the town of the Stony Sept and sent his soldiers door to door searching for the rebel leader. But the villagers hated the Mad King and loved Robert, and kept him one step ahead of the soldiers, until only one refuge remained. As the soldiers closed in, all the town bells rang out. Hearing of Robert's plight, our father and John Arryn had rushed to the Riverlands and enlisted our grandfather, Hostetully, to help them. Together, they routed the Hand's army and rescued Robert. To celebrate and cement the Tully alliance, our father wed our mother, Catelyn, and John Arryn took our Aunt Lysa. Only a fortnight later, both men rushed back into the field, for the dragon had finally woken. While my father's servants were losing my father's kingdoms, my brother Rhaegar had been cooped up with his mistress, whore, whatever else, I'd call her a distraction. But now Rhaegar came to his senses and returned to King's Landing. He persuaded our father to summon his estranged friend, Lord Tywin Lannister, the richest and most powerful lord in the realm. Rhaegar himself would lead the royal army against the usurper, Robert. On the banks of the Trident, my brother fought the man whose wife he'd stolen and who fought to steal his birthright in return. In the end, Robert wanted it more. His hammer shattered my brother's armor and its rubies fell into the river like raindrops vanishing in the current. With Rhaegar's defeat, nothing stood between Robert and King's Landing. Imagine the King's surprise a fortnight later when he saw not stags, but lions outside his gates. His former hand, Tywin Lannister, had come to the capital with a force even Robert couldn't match, claiming to be loyal to the King. Trusting what he wanted to believe, Ares ordered the gates opened and the Lannister forces dutifully began to rape, pillage, and murder the king's actual loyal subjects. When Eddard Stark finally arrived at the capital with Robert's army, he found Lannister banners hanging over the sacked city, Targaryen corpses littering its streets, and Sir Jaime Lannister sitting on the Iron Throne. Below him, the mad king Aerys, whom Sir Jaime had sworn to guard, lay in a pool of his own blood from a sword thrust through his back. Lord Eddard might have thanked Sir Jamie for doing the realm a favor, but honorable as he was, Lord Eddard condemned Sir Jamie as a kingslayer, a name he would never escape. Unlike Lord Eddard, Robert appreciated my contribution to his glorious victory. He pardoned me for my crime and even kept me on his king's guard beside Sir Barristan Selmy, who'd been wounded at the Triton fighting for Rhaegar. True, both of us had failed to protect our Targaryen charges, but perhaps that's what Robert liked most about us. When my father presented Robert with the bodies of Rhaegar's wife and two children, Ned Stark hiked up his skirts and demanded Robert send their killer to Dawn and me to the Wall. 
but I saw what Ned couldn't. Robert was ashamed of the bodies and more ashamed of his relief. He knew that Rhaegar's heirs had to die or his throne would never be safe. But glorious heroes didn't kill children. They simply didn't punish their murderers. No doubt I would have suffered a similar fate. But my father had wisely sent me and my pregnant mother to Dragonstone. When the usurper heroically sent men to kill me and my newborn sister to protect his stolen throne, a loyal knight smuggled us across the narrow sea to Essos. And so the last dragons of Valyria, heirs to the greatest dynasty from the greatest civilization this world has ever known, slept in sewers and foraged for scraps in alleyways, one step ahead of the usurper's knives and one step behind the whispers of his spymaster, Varys. But we won't run forever. One day I'll return to my kingdoms with an army, take back my throne, and repay all traitors with the only coin my family knows. Fire and blood. No, you won't, because you're dead. That, so I guess that answered the question about the fourth wall breaking. Yeah. That it was like before. Right? Right. That one, man, we went from uh, Aegon. Well, the Blackfire the Rebellion is like Blackfire. four generations. Yeah. But it got like two sentences. And there was another <laughs> one in there, too. What was the other one? The thing that people... Uh, like to talk about oh the dance of the dragons. The dance of dragons. They right. talk about that too. Right. Did Morgan? Did you know about any of this stuff? Or is this all new to you? The beginning part was all new to me. Oh, okay. I mean, a good deal after that. You re- you rem- you remember and recognize yeah. that stuff like, of like what happened with Ned and right right John yeah. Aaron once they once they that. caught yeah. up to to the point of actual like from the show. I remembered all of that. Well, that's good to know that that's on, that that's like kind of in your mind. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I question whether, you know, but then again, I get the um, calls from people like when Game of Thrones is going to come on, like, remind me again who that person is. (laughs) You know, I'd be like, that guy was that guy's, but that's cool that I think by now that it's people know more each season of the TV show people gain more knowledge of mm-hmm. the history and stuff and they watch stuff like this. That's why I really do. I've always thought that um, I'm not, you know, I'm not into spoilers or anything and I don't consider the books to be spoilers, of course, but like set stuff or anything. But um, I think that this stuff has always been good to watch. I think they've always done a good job of kind of um, even like letting you know what's coming Mm-hmm. That's why when I look at because a lot of this stuff on the season six Blu-ray uh, histories and stuff like that kind of clued you into what we were gonna see, mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. is kind of cluing us in because the final chapter then that we're gonna see is the Targaryen is Danny. Now right. what happens when they rise again right. and come back and take over? But now they have a newer, greatest foe which is they have to deal with 
what the northerners had put away so like long before you know that's kind of cool but yeah they covered a lot of stuff very well too because mm-hmm. they've covered um robert's rebellion before on these history and lures and this one's really concise right and you know hits different points well and the other thing is about the blackfire rebellion like Fuck it, man. Like it doesn't matter, and you don't need to know about it. <laughs> like, yeah. that's but I still thing. I kind. But what it's they said, the way they but... explained it, mm-hmm. like I've listened to, um, I think the history of Westeros and watched. Uh, um, there, w- I think they had done one of a uh, history and lore on Blackfire mm-hmm. or something, uh, but that was nice and concise to understand that. They accepted the bastards, then they just kept on trying mm-hmm. to go, you know what I mean? Like that and one. And then it was all wrapped up by a guy you've heard of, which means recently. Yeah. <laughs> that was a long time. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. That goes to show you, though, too, in a sense, that then the Targaryens, no matter, though they came from, you know, the greatest civilization known to man, you know, known to this world or whatever, they also got caught up in bullshit in fighting and generations of garbage and of like who is rightful and who is not, you know, just like everybody else did. did. I had forgotten that (laughs) Danny's brother was alive when they fled. And that's part of the reason that he felt like he knew so much more than her about the world. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I, I always like forget that. I remember that he was just, like, really slimy, and that's, like, about it. But did the dragons play any part in the original battle with the White Walkers, or no? No, no. There were dragons there. He, Aegon, brought the dragons to Westeros. Right, right. That's why I was asking, because I and that feel was like, way I mean, after. I know it's weird to try to apply evolution or anything to this made-up world, but... <laughs> It feels like... That's not the weirdest thing we've applied to yeah. the world. <laughs> like, you know, the the dragons were kind of, like, evolved in response to the White Walkers if they're the only thing that can create the only weapon to fight, you know, the, mm, the dragon glass. They're the only thing, oh. you know, the things that... And then, so they had no dragon glass originally when fighting them. If you there know, were no dragons there. So how'd they know dragon glass? We don't necessarily know that they didn't have dragon glass. Uh, we don't... Because the dragon glass... Uh, what they had was the children of the forest. So it's not yeah. clear what all the children of the forest... Like, you know, but... Which is why there's a difference see, between... Oh, I'm sorry. Go but ahead. when you see the 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 children of the forest create the white walker well, i was going to say they're that. using dragon glass right but this they call they the, don't call it dragon but glass. they don't call, they call it, that. it um so do you I think, what they call it so i think that the that the obsidian will obsidian, just call, yeah that's what we'll that's call what they it. called it okay that that was already there and that it's at dragonstone not because the dragons made it but because it's a geological feature of that place Right, and so it's just called dragon glass. Oh, but that's actually interesting. Pre-exists so volcanic, dra- it w- because it's volcanic, heat. Volcanic it's just glass heat. and right, glass dragon. made by the dragons okay. would be okay. equal. 
would be the same thing. Okay. And so they oh, just renamed it yeah. Dragon Glass after the dragons arrived. Just like it seems like it was a giant volcano that ripped up. up right. That's a good point. Killed like, all the dragons. But it had its anyway. magical properties before the dragons got there, including yeah. being able to burn, which okay. is, I think, why they call it Dragon Glass. Not because it's made by dragons, but because it burns. Oh. It's glass that burns. Remember, you can make candles out of it, right? This is something that's way more oh, present okay. in the book than it's... And by way more present, I mean four or five times or whatever. It's not... But in the book, you see the glass burning a few times. So I think that's... Oh, right? So if that's the case, then... That's kind of cool. You know, they would have had dragon glass to fight them the first time. Yeah. Even though they wouldn't have called it that. They would not have had dragons... What they would have had is the magic of the children of the forest. And that's the yeah. whole thing is that they work together. And so whatever, and that, you know, the, the specific magic that they used to defeat this thing that they also created has not yet been outlaid. So that's well, what's Danny so exciting. Okay, go ahead. Well, that's what's so exciting about this generation of the cycle then that all of a sudden you're taking dragons against... Yeah. But it's, then you lose the children of the uh, forest. But do you? Because they have Cause they have brand. Have brand yeah. yeah, they have brand. So then they have actually at hey, least look, access to. We got the some positive vibes flowing here. Now they have a better chance, right? Because now we're looking at it, and if it's like the kind of the cycle, this time they have that children power through brand or whatever. You know that link. And they have the dragon, so they're in good shape, you know? It's all over. Can They'll be fine. Work into... <laughs> Except a bunch of people are going to die. <laughs> Can he work into a White Walker? We haven't seen that yet. Because yeah. if he no. could, could he take over the dragon? That they... We haven't seen yeah. that yet. That that was... Oh, fun. there you go. That was a theory that we had talked about. I think someone had brought that up in one of oh, our final uh, pods. Yeah. No. no. Sorry, what are you talking about? It always happens. No, there's no original ideas. Trust me. There's too many. There's Reddit. There's no original idea. Well, the other thing is, you know, um, the possibility that, I mean, we don't know that he can warg into the, the walkers or the, the turned uh, whites. But we have seen when he was in the crow and yeah. in the raven and flying over, and the Knights King was like, yo, what the fuck is that? Yeah, right? there's a connection. There. There's some sort of, we have seen yeah, some they're sort on of the connection there. Celestial and so pathway. We don't know if he can warg into the Ice Dragon or the Whites or the Walkers yeah. or anything, but we've seen a connection, indicates it's a possibility. Yeah. This was um, another point I wanted to bring up was uh, I like the way that they even added a little bit of story to the whole Robert Ned thing there mm -hmm. with how Jamie says um, uh, Ned pulled his knickers up in a, you know, like basically <laughs> got his panties up. in a yeah. bundle about it. But Robert realized, mm -hmm. you know, so, so basically you see, you can see the, the impetus or not the impetus, but you can see like kind of a little bit of a echo of um, Joffrey getting all of Robert's uh, bastards killed, well, you know, like yep. it's like, this is something that's done. 
And George is very clear that in order to lead, in order yeah. to be the king, you must acquiesce to a certain amount of evil. Yeah. And not everybody's prepared for that. Nope. You know, and acquiescing to that evil can drive you crazy. I think that's another thing that he, you know, I mean, yeah, they flip a coin and so on and so forth. But, you know, Ares got worse. You know, yeah. Robert got worse. Like, that's another thing. You have to acquiesce to some extent to this type of thing, killing kids or whatever. Yeah. And the guilt of that. Yeah. And we don't, we, and that's interesting too, looking forward past this into season eight and what sacrifices or choices will either Danny or John or whatever have to make. What is going to be Danny's version of Robert's killing Danny? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or will they not make that choice? And, and, and also in not making that choice, do you actually sacrifice the future because you lead to instability? Right. Like to leave those bastards alive leads to the black fire rebellion. Right. So in a sense, you're, you could end up killing more people. Right. You know what I mean? So, but you know, you know if Robert's assassin's knives had have gotten to Danny and Viserys, then, you know, they might be dead. There might still not be any more dragons. And then it's just John and the fucking yeah. bearded ginger trying to fight off the walkers. And, that's and no a crippled ward. Yeah. <laughs> and that's there you go. Not... <laughs> that's the truth, Ruth. So. All right, guys. This has been. This is awesome. This has been like the NPR version of podcast Winterfell. Though, <laughs> like, I feel I never. I don't usually podcast in a room with other people. I know. I know. So it, I. I. It has. I feel like I have needed. I've wanted to be quieter. Yeah. And more. You've been, you've been a little calmer. Immediately considerate of other people when they speak because I can see in their face yeah. the anticipation of a point. Whereas on, you know, we don't usually use the picture on Skype, so no. I just bail right over you motherfuckers because I can't I see that you want to say something. I find it distracting. This looking is really at, fascinating. We did, um, when we did, uh, what was it for, the only time I ever did a podcast all the whole time on video, I think, is when we did a podcast with uh, the guys from Shad on TV for the Westworld Theorycast, which, by the way, subscribe, Westworld Theorycast, me and DJ Tim Hines. You'll like it. Westworld, baby. Um but uh, they had us all, like, they kept their cameras on so they could, like, point to each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't remember who was on it with me. I think it was either Tim, I think it was Tim or Heath. And then we were kind of like, no, we just talk over each other. <laughs> we fucking pointing at anybody, man. We just keep on talking. Um, I mean, like, when I hear you talk, <laughs> I will, I'm quiet. But without that visual yeah. cue... You know, so I found that, yeah, anyway. It's good. Podcast Winterfell. Do we have to get a digital talking stick for when you do the podcast <laughs> elsewhere? This yeah. has been Morning Edition. Morning Edition. King's Landing. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank this you. This KXL. This is King's Landing. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Portland, baby. Uh, PDX Winterfell. Um, I will say, though, Mike, have you driven down to the what i can never pronounce it the dailies the dale the dailies the dals have you driven down that road of course and then you see the whole rock face that looks like you're in game of thrones it's world awesome god oregon is beautiful anyway we'll all right everybody photos of that this summer yeah we should 
Yeah, Lachlan was saying we wanted to go on hike on that Multnomah Falls, but it, it got all burnt. But I think they're reopening it. Have you never been there? Oh yeah, no. He was saying we wanted to go back. Yeah, no, the oh, hiking trails. Were yeah, he remembered it. It's spectacular. Closed. Yeah. Parts of it have opened. I think they're hoping to have it all open. All right, everybody, they come will. to Portland because now yeah. me and Axel are both here, and we can show yep. you around Multnomah Falls and talk about Tyrion. And we got to get a podcast together where it's you and me and Abe and uh, Roberto. Um, from a pot of casts, they're up there. They live here in Portland too. We got a whole Portland crew going on for the see, finale or something. But the great thing about podcasting is that I don't have to see any of you motherfuckers <sighs> while we're doing Terrible, Michael. <laughs> I still love you. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to Podcast Winterfell, part of the DVR Podcast Network. You can check us out, dvrpodcast.com. You can also check out our Patreon patreon.com slash dvr this has been fantastic i might even split this into two podcasts who knows we did like three hours right i mean who wants to listen to all that at once yeah all right well morgan it has been a pleasure thank you your so podcast much. debut was fantastic <laughs> thank you so much for having me is there anything else you want to say no all right mike anything else you want to say uh no it's been great to podcast with morgan and uh axel I think this is literally the first podcast we've ever done where we can see each other because no. the first podcast I was on with you was about Lost and you had already moved. Yeah, I did move already. Right? And you yep. were like, hey, we should do a podcast together because then we'll talk on the phone at least once a week. And I was like, say word, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I was thinking, did I ever do a pod? Oh, no, one time Aaron and I did mm -hmm. sat together and did a podcast. But you're right, we never did it before. Well, this so, is awesome. Anyway. It was a good first experience. I don't know if we'll repeat it. I hope we do. <laughs> I like it late night. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning or 1 o'clock in the morning. It's late for me. I like it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back again uh, sooner than you think. Podcast Winterfell. Out. Call recording has been complete. Thank you for listening to Podcast Winterfell. Podcast Winterfell is a part of the DVR Podcast Network. You can check us out at dvrpodcast.com. Become a patron. Go to Patreon slash DVR. Follow us on Twitter at WinterfellPod. Follow us on Facebook at Podcast Winterfell. And follow the DVR Podcast Network at DVR Podcast.